0: Lord God, wake us up to a worship for you now this fall. In the midst of all this struggle, may our worship not stop. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. Great to be continuing to walk through in a series here. We're in our third week now walking through this series called Light the Fire. Light the Fire. And we're talking about what it looks like to be a church on fire for Jesus Christ. In the middle of all the unrest, in the middle of all the unsettledness, may we be able to focus on our God and get a ton out of who He is and bring it back to Him in huge worship. And may we be able to take some times of refreshment. I mean, this weekend has been awesome, hasn't it? Just to be able to get a little bit of refreshing air and uh, just to get some time outside. It's been amazing to have a little bit of time out there and uh, God giving us a little reprieve with that weather. Love it. And uh, man, just to be able to take a breath of fresh air, sometimes physically actually, and then sometimes as you're getting into God's word, being able to say, okay, Lord, what is it I need to know? What do I need to be going after to be able to continue to worship you in a fresh, powerful way? All right, that's what we're looking to be and go after, a church on fire, fresh expression of our God, worshiping Him with all we've got. So do me a favor. Turn with me, if you will, to First Timothy chapter one, starting in verse 15, First Timothy 1, starting in verse 15. And uh, the first point here is, embrace Jesus as your king and savior. Embrace Jesus as your king and savior, right? So as we jump in here, remember Paul is writing to Timothy, he's writing to him to take over the church at Ephesus, he's giving him some guidelines on things to go after, he's talking about what it's gonna look like to have a message that is appropriate for the people, and then he's gonna talk about what it looks like to have uh, members within the church going after things correctly, and then lastly, the ministry of the church. Those are kinda of the three overarching categories in First Timothy, all right? So again, as we pick it up here, we're in the message in this third week. Uh, and this week, he's talking very specifically about gospel deep. And you might remember that phrase. It's from some years back when we were going through Romans. But we'd say, we're not just going deep, we're going, we're going gospel deep. And why do we say that? Because the depth of the gospel changes every facet of our life, all right? We're going gospel deep. And so a lot of what we're looking at today is a gospel deep focus. All right, let's jump in starting on verse 15. He says, the saying is trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance. The saying is trustworthy. It's worthy of full acceptance. And uh, he talks about this trustworthiness. Think of it like um, a giant lake that is feet thick of ice and you can walk out on it. Trustworthy, like you're looking at it, and you're going, I don't know, is it thick enough or not? He's like, tell, I'm telling you this, it is trustworthy. You can go out on that ice. You can go after this with all you've got. This statement I'm about to tell you is absolutely rock solid. It is worthy of your full acceptance. Put your whole heart on it. Don't hold back. Lean in with all you've got. Here's the statement. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world... To save sinners. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, if you've been around this church for a while, you've heard that a lot. You know that message. We know it's true. Jesus Christ, He is the God of the universe. He has stepped into this world. He came to save sinners. He came to save you and me. This is a huge truth that we have to anchor into with all we've got. Jesus. Had a purpose in his coming here. Please hear me. The Father sent the Son, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. The Father sent the Son. There's a willingness of the Father to send Jesus. But Jesus did not come against his own will. He said, I came willingly. Nobody could actually have sent me to the cross unless I was willing to go there. I came willingly. And so yes, the father and the son agreeing together with this plan and the Godhead going after it, Jesus Christ coming down for the goal of giving you and me hope. That's the purpose, hope, salvation, rich and free. And he came to save sinners. You know, Romans chapter three, verse 23 says what being a sinner is. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right, that's the measuring stick. Is the glory of God? We got to make sure we grasp that. The world is really selling that sin is kind of something, you know, where you're not being true to yourself. Like that's what sin is. And just so you know, that's not it at all. It's not the not being true to self. It's not being true to God's glory. The measuring stick is God's glory, and sin is when we come up short of Him anytime, anywhere, anyway, coming up short of his character and his perfection. That's the definition of sin. God is the measuring stick. God is what we absolutely are to be going after. We're to be honoring him and glorifying him as we mirror him with all we've got. And uh, how do we respond to this God who dies for us who rose again from the dead, who offers for us forgiveness because of the cross. How do we respond to that? You know, I was looking through a number of different ways to say this and go after this. In fact, kind of landed on this yesterday as I ran into some uh, really strong writing that was out there. And so I'm just going to read a little bit of this to you. This is a great, fresh understanding of the gospel. Ready? Here we go. Christ calls us to deny self. Like Well, that's not rocket science, right? Christ calls us to deny self, but why? Because we all live driven by passions, driven by the passions of vision, longing to have what we see, driven by the immense desire to be honored and rewarded. We are driven by desire from within, and it's all about self. But Christ calls us to deny self to be able to set that down. Here's another piece to the quote. This is how we all live our lives, and that's exactly what we have to give up. We have to say, I no longer care about what my lust craves. I no longer care about what my eyes see. I no longer care about what my proud heart wants. In fact, as I look at it all, I see it all as sin and so I deny, I deny myself. To deny myself is to say no to all those cravings that are a part of the fabric of my fallenness. To say no to all the things banging inside that make me so drawn into it, no. To say no to the hungers and the pangings and the wants and the longings for the honor and the reward and the, no. Like I'm not going to go down the path of glorifying self. I'm going to go down the path of glorifying Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like to begin to honor him as Savior. It's not about me getting my way. It's about him getting his way ready and all of God's people said and this is a huge deal that we grasp this with all we've got I just wrote these words it's an attitude of brokenness over your sin it's the level of desperation that beats on the chest and said God be merciful to me a sinner and what does it look like to believe that Jesus is risen and confess him as Lord that you literally say, I get it. The stuff that's all about me, I'm setting down. The stuff that's all about you, I'm picking up. I get it. I'm denying my, my hungers and my, my pangings and my longings, and I'm looking for you to get all the glory. And, uh, You know, my wife and I were talking a little bit about this yesterday. This is a quote that she uh, actually just saw recently. It says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. But it does lead to life, right? And all too often we get all fired up about the gate is narrow and the way is hard. And then we get this look on our face like, man, it's just so hard, right? And we leave it there. But dude, that's not the story. The story is this. It leads to life and life eternal. Yeah, it's not easy to find it. Yeah, it's difficult to figure out when I'm all about me and I need to set it down. Yes, it's a little bit of a battle inside, but it's time to go after it. The way is narrow. The way is difficult and hard. But know this, it leads to eternal life. And all of God's people said, And that's our hope. Jesus Christ died for my sin. It gives me hope that I can set it down and try to be walking with him and see him do an amazing work in me. And uh, another statement from my wife yesterday that she read. This is like a collective thing of all of our studies this week, all right? Just getting a little fresh understanding of the gospel. We don't have a sin problem, we have an awe problem. We don't have a sin problem, we have an awe problem. You see, if we look at the sin problem, we're just looking at the end symptom. It's my behavior along, my behavior needs to change. No, that behavior comes from the fact that I have an awe issue. And the problem that I have with my awe is I put it on me. I'm in awe of self, and I want self to be lifted up, and I look for different ways where self can get the glory. But our job is to actually turn it around and put our awe on Jesus Christ. May he get all the glory. Our awe needs to be God-centered, not self-centered. Man, you listen to all the words being spoken by the world right now, and what is banging and clanging is look to yourself. Be true to yourself. Don't deny yourself whatever you want you should get, right? Listen to every one of those words and then say, not that. Right? You got to get this, man. The world is selling a salvation that just means you're true to self. That way is wide and easy, and it leads to destruction. We have a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He has died on the cross, and He has risen again. Do you know Him? And do you know this Savior? Are you willing to put your awe him maybe for the first time willing to say today I believe he has risen from the dead and I'm done with celebrating self I'm on with awe of this God the one who is absolutely perfect the one who is stunning in his love the one who pours on the mercy and he gives me all the hope I could have Jesus Christ man, do you know this savior are you in awe of him man our job is to have a worship of our God that blows us away where we can celebrate him we can kind of crescendo up into it and we don't have a sin problem we have an awe problem we're in awe of ourselves and and what just needs to stop that's our issue are you willing to say it's time for me to figure out what's so awesome about Jesus Christ and I long to hear of his greatness and his mercy and his love? I'm willing to set down self and go after him. Jesus Christ, he said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. John 10, 9. I am the door, he said. He said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. John 14:6. He said there is one mediator between God and man the man Jesus Christ. In fact, this is 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. We're going to be hitting it next week. Jesus Christ, he is the one mediator. He is the one way. He is the one door. He is our hope. Everybody say my hope. My hope. That's Jesus Christ, man. Don't miss it. He is our savior. And he is taking us away from our sin for an eternity of perfection with him. Man, I'm telling you this, we have hope because we are knowing the one who gives us the way that is narrow, but it leads to life, Jesus Christ. He has come to save sinners. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. There is no other name by which we can be saved. Do you know Jesus Christ as Savior? And he is our hope. May we look to him. May we long for him. May we respond to him. Maybe you haven't trusted Christ and you're here today and you're just kicking the tires on this church or on the gospel and the Bible and what it has to say. Man, our request, to stop and take a moment to respond to your God, to believe that he is risen from the dead, literally saying, I understand you are risen from the dead, Jesus, you're alive. This is Romans 10, 9. To believe he is risen from the dead. Do you believe that? That Jesus Christ is alive. And then it says to confess him as Lord. That means put your awe on him. That means be in awe of who he is and let him have a say in your life. Are you ready to make Jesus your Lord. And maybe now is the time and today is the day. Just telling him that, I believe and I'm willing to make you Lord. I'm in awe. I'm following you. That's what it is to be saved. Jesus died and he rose for sinners. That I might have mercy, that you might have mercy. He is our hope. And all of God's people said, He said, hey, just so we're clear, Jesus came to die for sinners, and then he says, which I'm the foremost of. Paul's like, dude, I'm not throwing stones at you. I'm not attacking you. I'm telling you I'm the worst of the sinners. I'm the chief of those sinners. I'm the one who went after Jesus Christ. I'm the one who tried to tear down the church. I'm the one who was destructive and persecuting, and no, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm the foremost. He's like, I'm with you in this. I have a need in this. Then he says, but I received mercy for this reason that in me, let's just hold right there, but I received mercy because in me that needs to cause a little bit of shudder in you. Like really, when you hear somebody say, hey, I received mercy because I... Like, you need to be really cautious of what comes next. We understand this, right? Mercy is something I do not deserve. So the only appropriate statement would be, look, I'm receiving mercy because I am such a horrible person. Like, that's the only appropriate answer. And he ends up saying, I receive mercy because in me, as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example. He's like, let me make this clear. I am the worst of the sinners. Why did I receive mercy? Not because I deserve it. I receive mercy because I so don't deserve it. And it's just a great example for everybody else. Paul's like, you know why God gave me mercy? So that everybody else could look over and go, well, he gave that guy mercy. That gives me a little hope. That's what's going on. He's like, I literally get to be that example. I'm the example of hope. Here's the truth about our God. There is no sin big enough for your God to forgive you. And all of God's people said, man, there is no sin big enough. We have hope, Jesus Christ. And Paul's like, I'm telling you, I'm the worst of them. And he gave mercy to me. Do you know what that means for you? Good news. He is a forgiver of even the worst of the sin, hope. Man, we can have mercy, a release of our sin and a life in Jesus Christ. He says he's an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Notice he does not say, and he was an example for everyone. He doesn't say that. Why doesn't he say that? Because if you're not paying attention to what Paul is saying, and if you don't care where Paul is going, if your goal isn't shifting your awe off of self and onto the God of the universe, then what he says next is ludicrous. When he says, hey, I'm just telling you, I have this worship in me and I have eternal life hope. And so now I'm an example of the mercy and the forgiveness of sin. And the world says, you don't need forgiveness. We got a new dictionary. We just define what sin is and isn't anymore. And now I'm free. And so I don't need a savior. Everybody say that's a terrible plan. Man, we let God define what sin is and we align ourselves with him. And as Paul goes after it, he's like, just so you know, I became this example to those who would believe for eternal life. The end result is that the way is small. And the path is hard, but it leads to life. Eternal life. Life forever with our God. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache, no more loss, no more death, no more anything. I cannot wait for that world to be on. Man, it's gonna be awesome. And we have hope and hope eternal, we have life and life eternal. And Paul is an example to them. He says, to the king of the ages, he now transitions. Like, I'm just telling you, if you get your awe off of self, your awe now moves to your God. And so Paul ends with a giant exclamation point to this paragraph with his awe squarely centered on his God. He's like, to the king of the ages, like to the king of kings and Lord of lords, always was king, always will be king. To Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, the one who died for me and rose for me, to the God who loves like I've never seen, to that God I give my awe. That's what he's saying. I'm worshiping him and I'm praising him. To the king of the ages, to the immortal one, he cannot and he will not ever cease to exist. He is forever, always was and always will be. To the king immortal invisible God is spirit and uh, invisible maybe we can't see him with our physical eye but man we can know his presence is there to the only God the only everybody say the only God world doesn't like to hear those words to the only God to the only way Jesus Christ to the only door our hope to the only one who takes my sin seriously and manages it completely at the cross and gives me hope. Jesus Christ, he is our everything. May God get all the glory and may it end in a true awe of him. He says, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. To him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. May God get all of our awe. May our awe come off of self and onto him. Are you ready to stop listening to the banging of the desires within and start handing it over to your king? And this past week has been a huge week. This past month has been a huge month. And uh, we've been able to get some things up and going in the church services here and love to be able to see it just growing out a little bit at a time. We're being able to get more and more who are willing and able to come out, and we're able to get this thing starting to fill in here, and we've got people at home who are just faithfully staying online, and we've got God doing a huge work in the different ministries. We were able to launch the junior high ministries back at the beginning of August with a little bit of a retreat getaway thing, and then their big launch out, and then the high school ministry launched at the end of August. We just launched our children's ministry, birth through fourth Grade for the summer or for the fall here just started to get going again. So that has been now three weeks out and going, and love seeing what God's doing with it. And here's a little bit of good news, just by the way. So when you go back and you look at what's happened, man, in junior high, we ended up having a couple of kids accept Christ. We had a ton who ended up giving their life to Christ over the summer. In high school ministry, we had four kids at the end of August who gave their life to Jesus Christ. They switched their awe from themselves. To their God Almighty, may he get all the worship. Amen, man. Amen. And last week, we had a little one in in one of the first through fourth grade classes that gave their life to Christ and said, that's it, I understand, and I'm confessing him as my God. I trust and believe in him. Man, I'm telling you, we take it seriously that Jesus is our hope. And all of God's people said, Amen. amen, man. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, make it today, make it now. It really is as simple as this, Romans ten nine. It just says, believe he is risen from the dead. By the way, it doesn't say believe he died on the cross. It says, believe he is risen from the dead. He is alive. And confess him as Lord. Shift your awe. Time for my awe to start making him in charge of my life. That's saved. Saying, God, take over in my life. Saved. Man, being able to give him that in the here and now, awesome. Doing that right where we are right now. And maybe you're here today and you are already saved, making sure that that awe is polished a little bit. Know what I'm saying? It's easy for us to get used to. All of a sudden, we're kind of getting a little bent about me and making it about my thing and my think. And uh, maybe you got on Facebook and you saw something and they had a position. And you're certain your position is world altering. And you're like, I'm going to share everyone and everything and everywhere what I believe about. And, and all of a sudden, we start to get amped about our positions. And we start asserting our thanks. And all of a sudden, this world becomes a world we hope to influence for ourselves. Be careful with that. May God get all the glory as we shift our awe to Him. And may every woeful moment in this broken world drop us to our knees and say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And all of God's people said, huge man. Jesus Christ, he is our hope, he is our salvation. Point number two, take sin seriously, take worship seriously. Take sin seriously, take worship seriously. Look, if I'm gonna get my awe right with my God, then I'm gonna take sin and worship very seriously. Here we go, he says, "'This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. This charge I entrust to you, that you already heard in prophecies made to you. like there were some of the apostles that laid hands on Timothy, and in the midst of doing that, there were, words, there were words shared, words about his preachability, words about his shepherding ability, words about the gifting that the Holy Spirit was giving him, and as he had those gifts, he could now reach into the church and make an impact. And Paul's like, I can trust you Timothy, use those gifts of the Holy Spirit. Go after it in a huge way. May the prophecies that were said about you now rock that Ephesus community, the church at Ephesus. He's like, that by them you may wage the good war. That by them you may wage the good war. Please don't miss this. Church, it is so much more than a social club. Church, it is so much more than a place to hang out. Church, it is a battleground. It is a war zone. And man, as we come together, please hear me on this. We are more than a sporting event. We are more than a concert. This is more than an entertainment. This is our awe being placed on our God. And all of God's people said, man, don't miss it. This war is being had for your worship and it's being called to put it on self, to define church as nothing more than a self-entertainment moment. That's not what this is. This is a battle, a battle for souls, a battle for worship, a battle for Jesus Christ to get what he rightly deserves. Are you in? Are you willing to fight this battle? Are you willing to worship with all you've got are you willing to recognize that inside this church there is a level of protection God doing something we don't even understand as he works with this body as he protects us as he grows us as he shapes us there is something that's going on in the supernatural thing called the church and he's like I'm telling you this is a war and it is warfare and your heart will be dragged apart by the words of the world. Are you willing to respond and step in? Paul saying to Timothy, "Get ready. This is a war, and we need to go after it wholeheartedly and aggressively." He says, "Holding fast, holding fast your faith and a good conscience. Holding fast your faith and a good conscience and." A these two words here are really big deal for the character of what it looks like to go after spiritual war. Now, Ephesians 6 talks about the, the weapons or even the methods, if you wanna say it that way, of war, where it talks about the, the sword of salvation or the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and right, all these different pieces. And, and, and so you have Ephesians 6 making clear the steps or the methods, the weapons of war, but this is the character of war, your faith and your good conscience. And man, they are directly tied together. Your faith and your good conscience. And just a quick definition, faith, this is where your belief in Jesus, your belief that he is risen from the dead, your belief that he is God Almighty, your faith that you're in and worshiping him, and your good conscience, you're staying morally aligned, biblically aligned with God's word. Your good conscience, It's you're aware of what's right and you're aligning to it. Your good conscience. And I'll just tell you, those two are go hand in glove. When we allow our conscience to be stepped on, when we allow ourselves to go into something sinful that we know is wrong, and we know we shouldn't be there, and we go into it, and we go after it, it ends up tearing us down just a little bit on the inside. Our awe focuses back on self. And in that moment of focusing it on self, in that moment of tasting of sin, it starts rattling us, and it literally causes our faith to weaken just a little bit. It does shift us just a little bit. I put it this way, when we violate conscience, faith is sure to slip soon after. When we violate conscience, faith is sure to slip soon after. When we gives ourselves permission to have awe of self, to taste of something and to go after it, it does tend to tear us down. It does. He's like, make sure you're ready to go after spiritual war in a huge way with faith and a good conscience. You know, yesterday we uh, ended up going and having some uh, pumpkin festival breakfast from Morton. We got the pancakes, we got the sausage, and uh, we actually ordered eight of those breakfasts. We only had uh, six of us, but we decided to get eight because we were listening to the cravings from within, right? And we're like, okay, that's it. We're going to do this. We're getting a little bit extra. And so we got the extras. And so we went over. There was like a half hour, 40 minutes in line. So worth the wait, though. These pancakes were phenomenal. They were so well made. And the sausage was excellent. And, and on the way back, actually, Jonna could smell it. I still can't smell much. But Jonna could smell it. She's like, this smells amazing sitting in the car. And as we're driving past, I noticed somebody holding up a sign that says pumpkin donuts for sale. And I'm like, I'm turning around. And she's like, seriously? And I'm like, we're turning around, baby. So we turned around, went back, and I bought some pumpkin donuts, brought those in the car as well. We went back home. We're texting the kids. It's on, man. See you at the house. They're coming over to the house. We got the stuff all set up. up, We end up sitting down to breakfast. They ended up not giving you the two pancakes and sausage. They gave you four pancakes and two sausage per meal, which was unbelievable. (laughs) So you pour this on, and you start eating, and you cannot stop. And it is just unbelievable. I keep eating all the way to the end. I end up getting through all of that and I reach for a pumpkin donut and I start eating that and I'm like, this is amazing. The texture is so perfect. Remember, I can't taste much, but the texture, unbelievable. And so I'm eating the donut and then I had a second donut. And then a little bit later, I had a third donut and then I didn't feel so good when you don't listen to your conscience, you do have a weaker thing that comes next. And the rest of the day, I was just a little bit off. Now, I've been doing kind of a low carb diet anyway. <laughs> so now you know my pain. If I get a little weak in the legs up here, you know what's going on. The reality is, man, that pumpkin donut, second and third ones especially, <laughs> represent sin in our lives in so many ways, doesn't it? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The reason we go after a sin is because at least for the moment, man, does it feel right. I mean, right after it, it does not. And it tears us down. And I can't believe I did. And what was I thinking? And but, man, for a moment. That is the most brilliant idea I've ever come up with. And we go after it. That's sin in our lives. Be careful. Be wise. See the sin in your life as needing to align with a good conscience. God does not say don't. God says don't hurt yourself. Have you heard that said before? It's a quote all over the place. I've heard it a ton, but God doesn't say don't. He says don't hurt yourself. It's a great quote. It's a quote that's saying God loves you, He cares what's going on in your life. He's not just holding back from you things that are enjoyable. He's holding back from you destruction. Know this. The way is small and the path is hard, but it leads to life. And all of God's people said, man, we can have hope in him as we go after it. He ends up closing it out here. He says, by rejecting this, that's the faith and the good conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. Not sure you get a better illustration than this. When they set down the good conscience, when they went after the sin, when they went after the thing they knew was wrong, their conscience saying no, but they did it anyway for the feel good of it, it ended up wobbling their faith and it took their faith into a shipwreck, ran it up on ground, tore a hole in it, faith was hurting badly. That's the example, the illustrate. When we go after sin, when we go after self, we do tend to tear ourselves down. Praise God, we have a God who brings forgiveness. And all of God's people said, praise God, we have a God who brings forgiveness. Mercy, not just once, but he recognizes we have sin in our lives. First John says if we say we're without sin we lie and we don't do the truth. He gives us hope of forgiveness. He says at the end here, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Bummer for these guys, man. Like Hymenaeus is referenced twice, once in 1 Timothy and once in 2 Timothy, and neither of them are very shining moments. Like both of them he's doing something pretty wrong and he's getting into things he shouldn't and he's saying things he shouldn't and In in 2 Timothy, he's talking about the resurrection in a poor way and misunderstanding and confusing people and changing the faith a bit. And and he's like, I'm just telling you, Hymenaeus and Alexander, they are not listening. They're teaching heresy. That the things are not as Scripture says and they're not as Jesus says and heresy cannot be taught and we cannot go after self and self-aggrandizing moments. We can't make it all about self awe. It's the kingdom of Satan that's where we cannot go and so he says so I've responded whom I've handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme whom I've handed over to Satan if that seems too aggressive then you're not understanding what sin actually is handing it over to Satan literally when we go and choose to sin we are choosing to play in Satan's sandbox we're choosing to play in what would be a destruction against the glory of God, and we're hanging in and around Satan. And Paul's like, I'm just telling you, I ended up sending him off to Satan. In other words, the protection of the church is something I'm pulling back. And now this is a serious moment, man. And this isn't Paul being mean and harsh. This isn't him trying to punish or be punitive. Notice what it says in the last statement. What's the purpose? He says that they may learn not to blaspheme. He's like, I love them too much to let them keep hurting themselves in this sin. Let's help them get this done now. That's it. We need to take sin seriously enough that we're willing to address it. We need to take sin seriously enough that we're willing to address it and say, hey, I love you enough to say, and you're hurting yourself. We need to pull back on that. Are you good with that? Can you stop? Harmful, habitual sin will destroy. It'll tear down your faith. May we rally together and recognize this is a battle, this is a war. May we individually be responding to our conscience. May we partner together and care for one another and love one another that God might get the glory. Yes, he's given us mercy. That doesn't mean we trample that mercy over and keep sinning. It means we set the sin down and give God the glory. Ready? And all of God's people said, Jesus Christ, he died on the cross and he rose again. He is living, he is alive, he is God Almighty. He did it for a reason to give us forgiveness of sins. May we take sin seriously, may we take worship seriously. May our awe come off of self and on to Jesus Christ, him and his mercy. And all of God's people said, Let's pray.